Retirement Blues Goodbye, along Wainwright's Coast to Coast Path, a book by Richard Cowley. A quote relevant to chapter 12. And still they gazed, and still the wonder grew, that one small head could carry all he knew. Oliver Goldsmith, the village schoolmaster. Richmond, feet up day. Zero miles. Twenty-four hours. No walking. Most accounts of long-distance trekking labour the miseries of blisters and various treatments for tortured feet. Peter's knowledge of hiking was shaped by travel literature and Miles Morland's account of his experiences in France. Based on these readings, Peter had allowed for a foot care day in Richmond a regional market town, and potentially the most interesting place for a stopover. As it turned out, our feet were in fine fettle, and there was no need for a duna day. I'd had a blister, but that was old news. The only sign of fatigue was a slight tightness in the calf and thigh muscles first thing in the morning. A hot shower and half an hour on the road quickly relieved these complaints. Jeff, the bearded American with the inside running on knowledge, was also a guest at our digs, the old brewery. He maintained the old-fashioned Californian formality of tipping the peak of his cap in Colleen's direction when he entered the dining room for breakfast. He wore the cap like a second skin pulled tight, hugging each contour of his skull. Perhaps he hoped a passing phrenologist would decipher the unique story of superior intellect etched into his bumpy bonts. There was no dawdling in Richmond for Jeff. He hit the road as soon as he'd cleared the plate, and that was the last we saw or heard of him. I enjoyed the here-today, gone-tomorrow nature of friendships made along the way. Sure enough, it would be interesting to meet some of our walking mates in different circumstances, but just sharing our time on the road together made for a special connection that wasn't lost with separation. Although there were plenty of things to capture the imagination in Richmond, our return to the crowded discipline of zebra-crossing normality left me feeling apathetic and ambivalent towards it. Life on the open road made urban day-to-day -day existence seem tedious and humdrum. Peter and Colleen explored the town and the secrets of the 11th century Norman castle. I retreated to the solitude of my room to write postcards. By evening, I'd shaken off the miseries and was eager to see what the town had to offer on a Friday night. Pre-dinner drinks were taken at the Buck Pub, where we watched the sun set over the castle. Also, we learned that an Italian greasy spoon was the best place to eat. Look out for the green door, advised the barmaid. It's easy to miss. There were umpteen pizza joints in the square, but no Italian restaurant. Then I spotted a smartly dressed couple slipping into a dimly lit opening, and hey presto, there was the green door, all faded and peeling paint. There was no sign to let the uninitiated know they had stumbled upon the best restaurant in town. There was no need. The sticky tang of sweated garlic drew would-be patrons towards gastronomic bliss with the same certainty that Wimpy, of Popeye the Sailor Man fame, locked on to the whiff of a hamburger. We knew we were close to heaven as soon as we entered the upstairs room. The place quivered with the excited hubbub of Friday night freedom. The steamy air was bloated with garlic fumes and the delicious aroma of Italian food. 
The fusion of subtle smells seduced the senses and caressed the skin, drawing a groan of expectant satisfaction from deep in the throat. Avoyou di bouquet, smiled the Italian waiter happily. Now, confessed Colleen, but there's only three of us. I am a sorry, he said, hanging his head apologetically, palms out. Uh, but there is a, a table in about a two hours. Like addicts denied a fix, our shoulders slumped, and we moaned our disappointment. I am a sorry, the waiter repeated as he turned to leave. Downstairs, in the garlic spike corridor, I tried to persuade three lads how righteous they'd feel donating their bookings to three ravenous pensioners. I knew I lacked the evangelistic salesmanship of Elmer Gantry, so I wasn't surprised when my proposition was laughed away, adding a little zest to the lads' carousing. The square was throbbing with revellers of all ages. Groups of eager-faced girls in miniskirts teased snappily-dressed lads, hoping to strike it lucky. It was on for one and all in Richmond, except for three dejected out-of-towners looking for somewhere to eat. Then we spotted the sandwich board on the pavement. It read, Bistro, downstairs. If we hadn't been so disgruntled at missing out on an orgy of sweated garlic, we may have been more alert and recognised the telltale warning signs. But we didn't, and paid the price. The bistro food was similar to pub grub, except expensive and second-rate. In truth, it was the worst food we ate on the entire journey. The meal took forever to prepare, and when eventually the braised lamb shanks arrived, they came with an apology, which must be unique in the catering business. Sorry, shrugged the waiter, but we've run out of mashed potato. In the space of two hours, we'd glimpsed garlic heaven and endured culinary hell. No mean achievement for a Friday night in a small North Yorkshire market town. Back at the old brewery, I was surprised to find a message waiting for me. My brother, an Olympian smoker, had suffered shocking after-effects of chemotherapy, about which he'd been given no forewarning. He'd had the terrifying experience of thinking of doing one thing, whilst unaccountably performing something altogether different. I went to bed gravely concerned for my brother's well-being, and considered returning to the Isle of Man, where he was living. By morning... Having slept on the problem, I resolved there was nothing I could do to improve the situation, so would carry on to Robin Hood's Bay. The landlady proved to be a gem. Her helpfulness and stylish smoked salmon with scrambled egg made our stay at the old brewery such a pleasure that it assuaged sad memories of Richmond's missed opportunities and behold the spuds lamb Henry of the night before.